Mark chapter number 1, verse number 1 says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of skin about his loins. And he did eat locusts and wild honey and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John and Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was in, there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan. And was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. Well, why do we meet here every Sunday? <laughs> Well, it's not because Sunday is church day, so we come to church because Sunday is church day, but why is Sunday church day? Well, the church gathers each Sunday, as churches always have, since the first day of the week where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, rose from the dead. Uh, Every Sunday we meet to memorialize that fact of history that Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week. Well, who is this man that could turn the hearts of people all over the world to gather weekly to worship him? What manner of man could reorient the calendar to which most of humanity recognizes that Sunday for Christians is the day of the Lord, the day of worship? Most people don't work on this day because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The whole, the whole orientation of our calendar is centered on it. What kind of man would do this, can do this? What manner of man can forgive sins, control the elements, heal the sick, raise the dead, himself die and be laid in the tomb, and himself rise again? Well, the gospel according to Mark shows us that. That's the question people keep asking all through Mark. Who is this man? What manner of man is this? What kind of man can do these things? And sometimes it's from his enemies saying, who do you think that you are doing these things? And sometimes it's from people just being amazed. How can someone do these things? But that's the question all through Mark. Who is this man? And Mark focuses mostly more than the other uh, Gospels on what Jesus does rather than what Jesus says. So in Matthew and Luke, you have the the Sermon on the Mount. 
Um, in, in John, you have the upper room discourse, but Mark shows us what Jesus is doing more so than, than the others showing you know, what Jesus said. And so people will see what Jesus does and they marvel at him. And still not know who he is. Where the text, I believe, is the introduction to this, this book. It's sort of the prologue to the Gospel of Mark. And the big question is, all through this, is who is Jesus? And Mark, in this prologue, tells us right up front who the Lord is. So we, as we read this, we start knowing who Jesus is. And Mark tells us who he is. And then immediately we go out and see Jesus going out into Galilee, preaching the gospel and calling people, but people not really understanding who he is. Or once they understand who he is, Jesus says, now go away and, and don't say anything. But in this prologue, we, get, we know who Christ is. It's a, a, a revelation from heaven. This introduction doesn't begin with Jesus' lineage, what he looks like, what kind of clothes he wore. But it begins with the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God. And we get a preview that none of the other characters in this gospel get. We're introduced to Jesus, the Son of God. We have the testimony of the prophets and John the Baptist and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, even Satan and the angels testify to this fact. But many of the people Jesus interacts with, including the disciples, are in the, in the dark about what we already know from the beginning. And slowly, in this gospel, the people are given more and more light. But who is this man? So, we learn right from the beginning who he is. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In the beginning, we have the beginning of the gospel. This reminds me of Genesis in the beginning. The, the, in the beginning was, uh, is God. Here in the beginning is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Here we have the beginning, not just of this gospel, of, according to Mark, but we have the beginning of, of the gospel concerning Jesus Christ. The title here in verse 1 is the theme of the whole book. It is the good news. It is the glad tidings that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come to defeat Satan, to save his people from their sins, to inaugurate the kingdom of God. And this good news, this glad tidings, is that Jesus has come to save sinners. And there's no better news than that Jesus Christ has come to save sinners. This is the glad tidings that reach back to all, the way, all the way back into the book of Isaiah, as we read. The glad tidings, the good news that is declared that the Savior of the world has come to save us. And so from the very start, Mark reveals this truth about Jesus. In this prologue, we have the, the vantage point of knowing what others don't know in this gospel or don't understand and they start in darkness. And as the gospel goes on, they're given more and more light to see until you get to the end. And then the centurion says, well, truly, this was the Son of God. But we know he is the Christ, the Son of God. The gospel is concerning Jesus Christ. That's why it's not correct to say that you can live the gospel 
or like the, the famous quote, um, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. Well, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there's no other way to say it except by words. I don't know how else you can declare the good news and the glad tidings except through words, because it is a message about Jesus Christ. It's not a manner of life. It's not a, a, a flavor of, of uh, your, your character. It is a message. It is a message concerning Jesus Christ, about him, who he is, and what he did, and what he's promised to do. It is the gospel of Jesus. Jesus means Jehovah saves. It's the, the Hebrew Joshua. Jehovah saves. So Jesus is the Savior. He is the Christ, which is the Messiah, which means the anointed one. He is the one um, whom God has chosen, the Messiah, Psalm 2, the, the anointed prophet, the priest, the king, the, the, the servant of the Father who would come and save his people and, and rule his people. Now the Jews were looking for a different thing with the Messiah, but the Old Testament reveals to us who the Messiah truly was, and Jesus is that Messiah they were all saying they were looking for. He is the Jesus, the Savior. He is Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. He is the Son of God. Not a Son of God, but the Son of God. The only begotten of the Father. The second person of the Trinity. The Eternal Son. So the beginning of the Gospel doesn't start here with John's baptism. It doesn't start with the Incarnation or even his public ministry. But Mark begins the gospel with as it is written. So he goes back to the prophets to show that this was not something that they just thought up or, or voted to elect Jesus as the Messiah. But he goes back to the Old Testament prophets as it is written. So we have the, the introduction, in verse, or the, the title is verse number one. Verse number two begins the prologue. We have the title, now here's the prophecy. So if this was a movie, you'd have the title of the movie come on the screen, and now we're panning into a dark, barren wilderness. And you come in and everything's in darkness. And then we hear maybe the narrator come in and give us this background information. The text scrolls across, scrolls across the screen, we hear the ancient prophecy. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way of the Lord. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord and make his path straight. The table is set for us now. Now we, we've got this background. We know what this is about. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now we have this prophecy to set the table. This is something that, that has been told for, for a long time. Something they've been looking for. For well, one of these prophecies is at least 400 years. Because what Mark does is he takes two prophecies and blends them together. He takes uh, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, and then Isaiah 40 and verse 3. So he takes two different prophecies and blends them together. So why does he say 
it's as Isaiah said. Well, I think it's because it's in the framework of what Isaiah taught. Because Malachi talks about John the Baptist and prophesies of him coming, that he would send his messenger, prepare the way, so forth. But, but that's in the context of, of the judgment. Isaiah is in the context of salvation. So Jesus will come and he will judge, but not yet. Jesus is coming as the Savior. Messiah will judge. He will rule this earth. But not yet. First, he must come as the suffering servant. He is preparing the way. So, you talk about somebody walking in the way, preparing the way, you're talking about um, something that people do. So you see that all the time now since the Disney TV show, This is the Way. Right? It's talking about a, a, a creed that one of those characters follows. This is the way. This is the law. This is the way that, that I live my life. This is my creed that I follow. Well, John is not preparing a new law. He's not saying, I'm preparing a new law that you have to follow, a new creed that, that you need to, to live by. But what He's preparing the way of the Lord. It's not a way of following the law, but it's a way of following the Lord. It's the Lord who's coming to provide salvation. And all through the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is, is heading towards Jerusalem. He's all about, in the first eight or nine chapters, he's all in the regions preaching around, and, but then he's, he's always making his way towards Jerusalem. And once he, he and then verse chapter 9, I believe, he, he starts making his way, and that's what the rest of the book is about, making his way to Calvary. That's the way that Jesus came. Not the way of, of rule as of yet, not the way of taking dominion over all, but his way is the way to Calvary, the way to die for our sins, the way to, to save us from our sins. When the king would come into a city during these times, he wouldn't just show up. People would come in advance of him and announce his arrival. So the king would come into a city and he'd have people go and, and prepare the way for him, announce his way, to, to let everybody know the king is coming. And that's what John the Baptist was doing. That's what this messenger was done. He was going before the Messiah to announce his coming. There's three people in verses 2 and 3. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, in verse 2, to prepare the way of the Lord. So you have the one who sends John. You have the one that sends the messenger. You have the messenger. And then you have the one the messenger prepares the way for. So that's the prophecy. That's what the Old Testament was looking for. God is going to send a messenger to prepare the way for God to come and to, to rule. Well, the Old Testament saints were looking for Elijah. Elijah's going to come. And then when Elijah comes, Messiah will come, and then God will come. But what we have here is John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. And if we think about what, what is being said here, behold, I send my messenger. So God says, I'm going to send my messenger, John the Baptist, 
before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. To prepare the way of Jehovah. To prepare the way of Jesus Christ. These are not two different ways or two different prophecies. This is, this is speaking of God sending John to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. God is coming in the flesh. It is Christ in the flesh, the Son of God, the Messiah who, who is being announced. Well, Who's doing the announcing? Well, we hear the ancient prophecy. Now we pan down a little bit further. And there's the River Jordan. The dawn is breaking. It's not light yet. But there's light shining. The dawn is about to break. And now we hear preaching. And now we look and who's this preaching? Well, John. John's doing the preaching. And he did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of remission of sin. So now John the Baptist is out in the wilderness preaching and baptizing. Word is spread and he's got quite the congregation that's followed him out in the middle of nowhere. You might expect a story about the Son of God, the Messiah, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to begin in the palace, to begin in the temple, but no... Mark begins out in the wild, out in the wilderness, out in the middle of nowhere, listening to a wild man preaching, telling people to repent. Turn from their sins and turn to the Lord. What a message. To be released from sin. To have remission. To not have to pay for that. To turn from sin to Jesus. To be released from the debt that you owe. How would you like to be released from your mortgage or your car payment or, or your tax debt or, or whatever the case might be? Be all right for somebody to come and release you from all that debt and the burden of the debt and the weight of it. Jesus didn't come to release us from that. He came to release us from the debt of our sin, which we cannot pay. The wages of sin is death, and that's what we owe. And John says... There is a way to have those, that debt remitted. To have that debt paid for. And you can be free. You can be clear. You can, you can have peace. You can have pardon with God. Turn from sin and trust in Jesus for the remission of sin. Well, who is this strange fellow that's out there? People like to know and think about what people look like and dress like in the Bible. I spent way too much time studying that years ago when the Bible doesn't really say a whole lot about it. So it's kind of strange in the sense that Mark opens with John the Baptist's weird choice of clothes. I mean, this was not something that everybody wore. John mentions it because it was odd. It was different. Everybody didn't walk, walk around in Camel's clothes. That, that was an odd thing to be wearing. Even stranger diet choice that he had. Locusts and wild honey. 
Who is a strange fellow? Well, his clothes preach a message. Um, you know, people say, well, but your clothes make the man or your, your, your clothes say something about you. Well, his did. And everybody knew what it was saying. So everybody understood that. Well, let's say, for example, I said there was a man down in Clay wearing a coonskin cap, leather, uh, leather shirt, leather pants, holding a musket. What would come to mind? Well, you might say, well, the Mountaineers down there. Or you might think Davy Crockett or Daniel Boone. Around here, that's probably what people would think of, one of those three things. Because that's a certain kind of person that would wear those clothes. I'm not going to go to work this week wearing a coonskin cap and holding a musket in my hand. <clears throat> I doubt you would either because people say, well, what's going on? It's not, uh, it's not Halloween time. It's not dress-up time. Why are you wearing such a, a crazy outfit? Why are you dressed up like the mountaineer? Why, where are you going, Daniel Boone? You know, that, that's what you would hear. Well, John is wearing clothes that that preach the message. Because if the, you go back to the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 1, and you find that that's what Elijah wore. So you got this man wearing a garment of camel's hair with a leather belt around him, eating locusts and wild honey. People say, well, who's this guy, Elijah? His clothes are preaching a message that, that here is one, an Elijah-like figure. Here's a prophet out in the wilderness coming in the spirit of Elijah to announce that the Messiah has come. John's purpose is to, to preach that message. The Jews were waiting for Elijah to come. Well, here comes one dressed like a prophet that would remind you of Elijah preaching the repentance of sin. And so John's purpose is to announce the coming of the Lord. to make way for Jehovah, for the Lord God. And he says, There cometh one mightier than I after me. There's a mighty one that's coming. And that's significant too. So here is this prophet out in the wilderness telling people to repent initiating this new rite of baptism to be submerged under the water and to, to rise up again. And he said, there's a mighty one that's coming after me. We've already mentioned Isaiah. Listen to Isaiah 124. Therefore saith the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel. Isaiah 30, 29. You shall have a song as in the night, a holy solemnity that's kept of gladness of heart, as when one goeth with a pipe to come into the mountain of the Lord, to the mighty one of Israel. Isaiah 49, 26. All flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. And then Isaiah 60, 16. Thou shalt know that I am the Lord thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. So John comes as prophesied by Isaiah, preparing the way of the Lord God, 
baptizing, preaching the repentance of sin, and said, there is a mighty one coming. I'm not worthy to, to bend down and, and tie his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. He is the mighty one of Israel. The mighty one will come. The mighty one will come in the power of the Spirit and then baptize in the Spirit. John's been putting them under water. He said this one will immerse with the Spirit. Isaiah 11, verse number 1 says, And there shall come forth a rod of the stem of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He shall come. This is the one that is coming, the mighty one. So we begin in darkness. The text rolls, the prophecies told, the day starts to dawn, and there's John the Baptist preaching. The mighty one is coming. The mighty one is coming. And now, thirdly, and starting in verse number nine. The dawn is broken, the sun is risen, and Christ has come. And it came to pass in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John and Jordan. Straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open, the spirit like a dove descending upon him, and there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately a spirit driveth him in the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. So as soon as we see Jesus, he's being baptized. John's baptizing sinners under repentance, and here comes Jesus, the Christ, the Mighty One, the Son of God, the Messiah, coming to, to be baptized. When we are baptized, we're united with the body of Christ. Jesus was baptized and he identified with his people because he's going to bear their sins. Jesus didn't sin. Jesus didn't commit any sin or any trespasses, but he came to bear our sins, the sins that we could not bear. He came to take our sins from us and die for our sins and rise from the dead. And this baptism was not a confession of his sins, but a declaration that he would bear our sins and pay for them. He was baptized because he came to save sinners and to bear the weight and the penalty of our sins that we might have the remission of them. John's baptism testifies that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. John is coming and preaching to Israel. You're in the land. But spiritually, you're under the law. Spiritually, you've never made it back from exile. You were cast in exile and you came back, but you still, as Isaiah said, you still need that, that covering of sin or forgiveness of sin. You're in the land, but spiritually, you need a savior. You need a deliverer. So Jesus comes and is baptized. Next, it tells us that the heavens 
testify that Jesus is the Christ. Who is this man? Well, we've got some testimony here. First, we have John the Baptist. First, we have the testimony of Isaiah and Malachi. Then we have the testimony of John the Baptist. Now we have the testimony of the heavens, because the heavens were opened, were torn. It's interesting, the same word is used at the end of this book, when Jesus died, that the veil of the temple was torn. The heavens were torn, they were opened. Not like a door that's open, but something that, that, that doesn't close back. He, Christ has come. The heavens are open and testify that Jesus is the eternal son who assumed flesh and came and lived among us. Isaiah again in verse chapter 64, verse 1, says, Oh, that thou would rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, Oh, that you would tear the heavens and you would come down. Oh, God, come. Oh, Lord, come. Oh, that the heavens would be rent apart and that you would come and, and come and, and save us and deliver us and be our king and be our Lord. And Mark tells us that indeed that happened. Just as Isaiah said, one would come crying in the wilderness and that one would come, the Lamb of God, that one would come as the shepherd, that one would come the, the stem of Jesse. Now that the heavens have opened, have been rent, and God has come. John testifies that Jesus is the Christ. The heavens testify that Jesus is the Christ. Now the Spirit, after his baptism, comes down and sins upon him. The Holy Spirit testifies that this is the Christ. And then the Father testifies with a voice from heaven. We have the Father, we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. The one God in three persons. Here at this baptism, saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Here, the Father speaks to the Son directly. You are my beloved Son. You are my beloved Son. Again, we go back to Isaiah, this time, chapter 42. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, and whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry nor lift up or cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break. The smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. My beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased, who his soul delighteth. This is who... This is what God is declaring. You are, my, you are the, the servant of Isaiah. You are the, the king, the Lord. You are, as it says in Psalm 2, the anointed one. And so Psalm 2 is a, where, we, um, where the Lord says that um, his son is the anointed one. I will declare in verse 7 of chapter Psalm 2, I will declare the decree, the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. He is the son. 
the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. So the father declares that Jesus is the son, that he's well pleased with the son. Now, Jesus didn't become the son here, but he was declared to be the son. It wasn't an office that Jesus took, but recognition of who Jesus was. Jesus isn't the son of God because he did certain things, but Jesus did certain things because he's the son of God. Was God the Father, the Father in the Old Testament? God the Spirit, the Spirit, Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Well, Jesus was the Son in the Old Testament, the eternal Son. He is the beloved Son. And this echoes from Genesis 22, too, where God told Abraham to take his son whom he loves, his beloved son, Isaac, and offer him a, a sacrifice. Now, Isaac did not become Abraham's son in Genesis 22, but God declared what he was in the significance of what was ahead of him, right? So Isaac wasn't in some far-off state until God said, the son that you love, you're going to sacrifice. But he's saying, this is your begotten son, the, your, the, the son of promise, the son that you love. Take now thy son, only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and offer him there for a burnt offering in the mountain. And here's Jesus coming up out of the water. And he says, "Thou, the Father says, thou art my beloved son. And that carries with it all the things of the Old Testament of, of the, the son of God. So as Garland said, at the beginning of this gospel, Jesus joins the ranks of sinners, takes his stand with them. And then at the end, he's going to die for them and go through a different baptism. Remember the disciples, Jesus asked them, can you be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? He's talking about his death. So Jesus dies on the cross. He breathes out his spirit. The temple is rent in twain. The centurion claims that Jesus is the son of God. And here at the beginning... Jesus declared to be the Son of God. The heavens are torn apart. The Spirit descends. And it's the Father who says that Jesus is the Son of God. We get all this testimony at the beginning. We know who he is. But that's not the end of the testimony. Because immediately after this baptism, the Spirit drives him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days tempted of Satan. And was with the wild beasts. And the angels ministered unto him. Now this is the fourth time that Mark's told us something's going on in the wilderness. Mark isn't like me whenever I was in school, whenever the teacher said write a, a one-page report in elementary school about something. And then my penmanship got really big and I was taking up a bunch of lines to write one page. And I said, no, go back there and do it right. Write me 500 words. Well, then I would say something like, once upon a time, there was a, a car, and that car, you know, just keep repeating the same thing over and over and over to get 500 words. It had been easier just to do it right the first time than doing it wrong three times. And then, but that, that's not what Mark's doing, right? Mark is not trying to write a thousand-word essay, and he said, well, let's just keep saying wilderness over and over and over again. There's a reason he keeps, he wants us to notice that. Mark begins this gospel in the wilderness, which is a big part of the Old Testament. God spoke to Moses in the wilderness. 
And then God led Israel into the wilderness. Then he led them out of the wilderness. Jesus is going out alone into the wilderness. And they are tempted of Satan. Now in Exodus 4.22 it says this, And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, and even thy firstborn. So in the Old Testament, Israel, God's son, left Egypt, went through the Red Sea, went out into the wilderness, under the covenant that God made with them in Exodus 19, and failed almost immediately. And from that point on, Israel remains under that covenant, unable to keep that law and unable to do what they were required to do. Now listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you be ignorant of how that our fathers were all under the cloud passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in that cloud and in the sea and did eat the same spiritual meat and did eat the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. With many of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So Israel, God's son, baptized, as Paul says, in the, in the waters of the cloud and the sea, went out into the wilderness, failed, and God said, I am not well pleased. But now we're in the wilderness again. And now Jesus, the beloved son, rises from the waters of baptism and goes out into the wilderness alone. There he is tempted in the wilderness but unlike Israel, defeats Satan and is victorious. He's the only one that does not fall and fail. And so now he will not just survive of his own, but he will, not, he will save not only Israel, but the Gentiles as well from the bondage of sin. So in this way, in sort of a backhanded way, Satan testifies that Jesus is the Son of God. Because Jesus, the one who Genesis says will come and crush the serpent's head, won the victory. He was victorious over Satan. And he's the only one. Well, then the wild beasts testify of Jesus by not harming him. Then the angels testify of him by serving him and not delivering him. So Gundry said, all we have in this section is the dignifying of Jesus, a series of acknowledgments. The acknowledgement by Satan, the pacifistic acknowledgement by the wild beast, sort of like the, the animals in the millennial reign will be brought under his subjection. Well, these wild beasts didn't harm him. And then the, the angels came and ministered to him rather than delivering him. Satan was defeated the, the animals were in subjection to him as well as the angels. And we see all this before his public ministry. So all this testifies that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Who is this man? 
Well, now, after John was put in prison, Jesus comes preaching the gospel. So we started with John, the prophecy about John. John is a forerunner, but now John's in prison. The kingdom doesn't come. The glad tidings come. The good news is spread abroad. And it lands John in prison. The kingdom will be resisted. The forerunner is also the forerunner of what the Lord is going to think about the Lord's anointed. Psalm 2 tells us the Father is well pleased with the beloved Son, but it also tells us the heathens will plot against him. So John foreshadows what's to come, not only to the disciples, but to the Lord himself. The kingdom has come. John announces the good news, and he lands him in prison, ultimately to die. And now Jesus comes, preaching that good news of the kingdom of God. His gospel, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of God, the gospel foretold in the Old Testament, the fulfillment of all that God had promised. The time was foretold, it's now fulfilled. The sun has now risen in the darkness. Christ, the light, is shining in the darkness. Christ comes out of the wilderness into Galilee with the good news. Repent and believe the gospel for the remission of sins. Hooker said it's as though Mark were allowing us to view the drama from heaven where we see things as they really are before he brings us down to earth where we find the characters in the story bewildered by what's going on. Who is this man? Mark shows us who he is. Then we see him in action. He is the Savior. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. Why do we look at this? Why do we meet on Sunday morning? Why is this important to you? Why should you care who Jesus is? Why should you uh, be concerned with this? Because he's the solution to your problem. You're a sinner. And without Christ, you face the judgment of God for your sins. You remain in darkness. You'll be judged and, and cast into the fires of hell. He is the solution to your problem. He's the only solution. He is God incarnate. The eternal son of God. The prophesied Messiah. Jehovah, our savior. The sin bearer. The greater prophet, priest, and king. You've heard the testimony of Mark. You've heard the testimony of Isaiah and Malachi and John the Baptist and God the Father and God the Spirit. You've heard Jesus' own testimony of the gospel of the kingdom of God. You've seen that Satan declared in his attack and failure that he was the son of God. The animals, if you want to believe the animals, they declared that Jesus had the power to subdue them. And then you have the angels who ministered unto him. He is the son of God. He is the Savior of the world. Will you listen to the testimony? Will you believe the testimony? Will you listen to Jesus? Will you follow in baptism? Will you believe the gospel of God? Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God.